0: are listening to Manufactured with Kim van der Weert and Jesse Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear.
1: Hello, Manufactured listeners. Our guest this week is Kim not co-host Kim, but Kim from a
0: province in Cambodia. If you're thinking that this introduction sounds familiar, you're right. Last week, our episode was also a conversation with Kim. She's part of a growing group of university-educated young Southeast Asians passionate about sustainability and working within the fashion industry. In episode 5, last week, Kim shared her experiences working as a sea freight export operator for a major logistics company. We explored the relationship between forwarder, factory and brand, and the impact that this can have on partnership, and therefore, sustainability. It's an often overlooked piece of the sustainability puzzle. Usually, when we think about logistics, we think about the environmental impact of transporting goods all over the world. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, be sure to go back and check it out. This week, we're lucky to get to chat to Kim again about her time working for a buying office as a quality production leader. The brand for which Kim worked had an unusually close relationship with the factories producing their goods, which, we should note, were not owned by the brand. We look at the conditions that facilitated this transparent and close relationship, like the contract terms, the sharing of certain financial risks, and even the technical nature of the products being produced. But
1: where we see quite a positive example of a relationship between brand and factory management on one hand, We also hear about Kim's struggle to improve the relationship between factory management and workers. We consider what strategies brand could take to be more effective in this space and the complex relationship between purchasing terms, the pressure to reduce
0: costs, and sustainability goals. We learned so much from this conversation and so excited to share it with you. And finally... This is a passion project for us. If you want to support the content we're putting out, please rate us on iTunes. This helps other listeners find us, and we'd love your help with that. Or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. Or drop us a line and tell us what you think directly at our website, manufacturedpodcast.com. Kim, welcome back. So this week we want to talk about your time working for a buying office as a quality production leader. And for our listeners who might not know, a buying office is the representative office of a brand in the production country. So Kim was employed directly by the brand, but working together with some factories in producing for for, for that brand. And we talked a lot about this also in episode two, when Jessie shared her time working as a merchandiser, which is a different position within a buying office. So I'd like you to explain a little bit about... What your role was as quality production leader? What were you responsible for? Um, when I
2: work at the quality team, there are three main mm-hmm. tasks that I need to focus. Mm-hmm. First is about the quality management that I need to ensure mm-hmm. like quality of bulk production is respected to the master sample. For example, like does the gold was assemble the same as the master sample? Do we use the same accessory? and Mm. do we follow the size measurement i mean all those are correct or not
0: and so you work with a couple of factories right so you're you're employed by the brand in their representative office in cambodia and you have a relationship with a couple of factories which are under different ownership not owned by the brand which you're then working with to make sure that whatever they produce is the same as the sample that they're supposed to make. Yeah, is they that, need to. Right?
2: Yeah, they need to make sure that the bulk production follow the master sample, and master sample was validated by by like the brand, approved by the brand yeah. before production. Yeah,
0: before yes. we start production. So you would paint me a picture. Like, how would you spend your days? Would you spend your days going out to the factories to spend time on their production floor to see, uh, the how what these what the bulk production is looking like. Did you have a team that supported you to do it? How did it work? I mean, at the factory,
2: they're gonna have a QA team, or oh, mm-hmm. like in the line, they have a line leader to mm-hmm. like daily. They need to check all the, I mean, the finished code that come out from the line. But as a brand, we also need to go to the factory to do the inline inspection before the final inspection to make sure that we can prevent some critical, yeah, problems. some critical problem. So, I mean, like if we do an in-line, inline inspection, so it can be like, okay, we can correct the the mistake or the error
1: in the first place. Inline inspection means yeah. the goods are still in the production line, still, and they're processing. Yes. Doing- yeah.
0: yes. So, like, you're basically, you could ex- maybe describe it as like the factory has its own quality control team, they're doing inspection as Jesse said, in the line, as things are being made. And then you would go to kind of check the people who are doing the checking. <laughs> yes.
1: You check uh, what their quality team, you check the performance of their quality team.
2: Yes. I also check the performance of the quality team. Because like at the end, like monthly, we're going to focus on their performance. Like how many PO that rejected or yeah. accepted rejected yeah or accepted so we can see like whether it is worse or it improve
1: if it's yeah. worse what are we going to do
2: <laughs> if the quality is worse so i need to make sure that okay i need to ask five by like as normal to know like what is the root
1: cause why we have many PO like were rejected Will this uh, rating risks uh, uh, the suppliers' orders for the coming season or for future? For instance, uh, for instance, at the end of this month, uh, you gave a uh, feedback. You said uh, it's really worse than last month. The performance of their quality team has uh, um, has a worse performance compared with last month, and will this feedback? Eventually delivered to the buyers and we are, we are buyers consider maybe next season or next few months is place less orders to this supplier.
2: Yeah. This one will
1: be like considered in the like, I mean,
2: as a buying office, we're going to consolidate also the quality team together and see which factory do better than which one. So it mean like, okay, the quantity that we place it also best on this one and more importantly about the price, like about the cost of the gold as well. So we have two performance here. One is about QA team at the factory, and another one is the performance for ourselves, like as we manage that factory.
0: Hmm. So the information about cost and quality kind of comes together at the buying office to decide how you which factories you're going to reward with more orders and which ones maybe you might punish. With fewer yes. orders next season, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, what happens? Let's say you're in a factory and you're looking at the production line and you see that something is going not quite right. What what happens then?
2: If I do a inline inspection, I mean, like I go to the line when they are producing mm-hmm. the finished goods. So I call the line leader and QA and also the uh, they have also the like the manager of that building so mm. call them and then mention what is the point that i need them to improve or they need to change to avoid that i'm going to reject in the final inspection
0: and is it always possible to fix it and what happens if whatever you're asking actually requires a lot of time and a lot of rework and causes them to miss the shipping window or the uh, deadline. How do you d- make the decision then? Is it you who decides, or you guys decide together, like what the best solution is, given, let's say, the balance between the time fixing something might take and the importance of of finishing it on time. Uh, most of the time, when we do inline
2: inspection, it's just like the beginning when they just start mm. like producing, so it's not really like. It's not really the consequences that we see like, okay, this PO is going to be delayed or something like that. It's just like when they begin Mm. to start like to produce, we can like prevent that. Okay, this you need to be careful and pay attention. And if I find out at like final inspection, so I I will reject. So it's just like a kind of warning, like Mm.
1: reminding Reminding them the potential risks, the potential challenges. Yes,
2: uh, reminding like, okay, That you need to be careful on. Pay extra
1: attention.
0: Yeah. So then, let's say you do that. Everybody agrees they're gonna, you know, adjust, make some small adjustment, and then you come to final inspection, and then you see that actually the problem has not been solved, or there's still something not quite right with the goods. Then it might cause delay, right? Yeah. Sometimes like the minor defect happen.
2: So Mm -hmm. if there are if there are a lot of minor defect. So, I will ask them to rework, and if they cannot rework on time, so it will mm-hmm. be they are responsible to talk with like i mean logistic side to negotiate so when the side uh the <laughs> as i work i mean at the time when I work for the brand, we have
1: our own supply to manage the kind of thing you you have your own logistic supplier to manage the shipping
2: uh. Not the logistics. Yeah, we have our own logistics side because we have the office based in Cambodia, and we also have the supply team to manage all the raw material and all the shipment go out to the destination country. So it mean like most of the time when they cannot rework on the finished goods on time, so they need to go to the supply team to negotiate whether what they can do. They
0: need to. So there was no forwarder.
2: Uh, in this case. In this yes, in this case we have our internal team to like to oh, solve that's it. Interesting.
0: So then it basically get escalated or moved to a higher level and they have to decide what to do.
2: Yeah, it just like escalate to another team then responsible mm. for the shipment. So if it somehow if it is not going to like to achieve the deadline, we also change. Mm move like from sea shipment to air shipment but the question like who we are responsible for the cost it requires many questions it's gonna be asked <laughs> why why it happened if it is because of the factory size so they need to responsible but sometimes it also like because of the material that the brand purchased for the factory it also laid and then like we have many things that happen in between so I mean, the decision is made case by case, and like
0: who this will is be interesting. responsible.
2: interesting.
0: I want to follow up on one detail. You said um, because in in past episodes, what we've discussed is that the factory is the one purchasing the raw materials. At that brand,
2: like we may need to buy our material by ourselves, except like for really? some yes, except for like some accessory. So I mean, like, but when they like all the material. All the raw material arise, we just put like in the factory warehouse.
0: So you so you the brand owns the raw materials in this
2: case? Yes, the brand owns raw materials. And for some accessory, yes, we nominate supplier for the factory to purchase.
0: That's really interesting.
1: So that means uh, this brand has a very close uh, or intimate communication with those uh, factories. Think about it uh the brand purchased the fabrics and delivered the fabrics directly to the supplier's warehouse so it means they knew very well the usage of each piece of the product that's that's how can how they can um, how they feel so confident to just buy that much fabrics and deliver directly to the supplier's warehouse without thinking maybe uh, maybe the usage is different or maybe the the efficiency of the usage is different or what, whatever. They just directly deliver. And I was thinking, I was guessing, they don't do the same for the accessories, maybe because accessories is a smaller quantity and you better buy it when you are very clear about the usage. Like for instance, how hmm, many buttons? How many, you need. how many buttons you will need for this order, or how many zippers you are going to need for how many meters of the zippers you are going to need, and so on. So maybe that's the reason. Then I oh, was just the thinking. I think maybe
2: determine the cost better because like every minute, like because yeah. I think when it happened to the decision how. How many kilogram of fabric that we are going to buy? It's just like we have a bomb from the factory and we also have our internal team to cross check on the usage. I mean, on the fabric. On the bill of materials.
1: Yes. Bomb is a bill of materials. If as a brand can have the bill of materials from the factories, they can actually work out the actual cost of that product from the factory. At least the raw material cost. Yeah. Because like at that time we have like
2: kind of like product development team so they can understand okay for the like how many kilograms that this product are going to use and like they also have the bomb from each factory to compare and also like yeah even it it, it apply the same to the same the standard alone minute that like when you like how many minutes per purpose that the factory mm. can produce. so we also have the internal team to work on that kind of thing, so we can challenge back to the factory, and you can challenge it back to the factories yes. to ask them to
1: improve their efficiency. Yes, yes. Yeah.
2: and it's also part of the quality team to work on, like
0: to make sure that the factory improve their efficiency. Interesting. To be to be honest, I'm not really quite sure what to make of this because, on the one hand, I think. Like, oh, this is great. You know, they're really sharing in the risk, right? One of the things that as a factory manager, I always complain about is that we assume all of the financial risk for purchasing the raw materials up front with very little guarantee that we'll actually be able to sell them. And so I think, oh, that's quite interesting. On the other hand, if I as a factory manager, if my customer knows exactly what my costs are, then like it can also be used against me to squeeze my margin right and so it's 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 like like actually I have kind of conflicting points of view in my head at the same time because on the one hand I'm like oh this is good this is interesting and on the other hand I'm like oh no this is terrible and it makes me think like okay if someone were to ask me what's the solution here what is the best way to handle this like I don't I don't I'd have to think about it I don't know what the answer would be but um and and another thing, too, is not just about knowing exactly what my costs are, like what, what you mentioned, Kim, about um, like how many minutes it takes and what the usage is, but also like my margins as a factory manager are often so small that and the bulk of my cost is material cost. So if I can manage to pad my margin a little bit by adding a little bit like on the material cost, that is that is uh, that's like. Yeah, that's something I want to do, right? And now I now I cannot do that. So I, yeah, I don't know. It just opens like a lot of questions for me. Like uh, something can be, yeah. What does that mean in terms of what what we would recommend? Uh, like what what kind of solution or what kind of setup would really be the best for equal partnership?
1: I, I don't know. <laughs> a, I have a question for you, Kim. Uh, mm. What kind of contract that brand usually sign with those suppliers when i say contract i mean is it a long-term commitment or is or is it something with a certain uh, with a quantity guarantee at the time we like we have
2: like a panel factory that we think that they can produce like okay how many quantities that we are interested to order and it It's just like five
1: years that we we want to grow together. Five years to grow together. Yeah. So it's a Mm. sort of long-term commitment. Yes. Mm. yes, In this way, I think, yes, that makes sense because it's a Mm. benefits-bonded connection. Yes. The brand is willing to give five years business to the suppliers, no matter how many suppliers. And the suppliers is willing to open space to show this is my cost today. And I need that much Mm. of margin. And that is possible at that point. And
2: it also, like, as the brand, we're also willing to support on… Uh, Financially? I mean, no, no. Technically? Technically,
1: yes. Regarding, like, how mm. to improve the efficiency. How to improve the quality. Yeah. That's why the brands will send inspection team yeah. to go to the factory, maybe stay two, two days or even three days there.
2: Like, we went to the factory like two or three times per week to check and two
1: or three, three times, times week. a week per yeah. week.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A
1: lot. Yeah. So
2: That's like a lot. Yeah. Be a close relationship. Like, it kind of like.
1: So it's really a very intimate uh, connection. <laughs> Very intimate, uh, complication and
0: yeah. Yeah, and you're so right to bring up the contract, Jesse, because like this question I had in my head, like chicken and egg can be good thing, can be bad thing, is totally defined by the contract, right? And so, yes, the fact that there's this long-term relationship and long-term commitment is basically how this sort of encourages a relationship between supplier and brand, between supplier and customer of trust, which is critical. And and I think then can be used hopefully in a way that sort of supports both sides' objectives, right?
1: And yeah, and it's quite interesting. You mentioned, Kim, you mentioned that the brands are willing to provide technical support. And yeah. also, mm. and also a sort of uh, financial support because they buy the raw materials. But I think for a factory, the most interesting part is the technical support. Think about mm. it: uh, five years contract finished, the factory is actually upgrade, technically upgrade.
2: Yeah, because sometimes we like try to improve the efficiency of the factory, and at the same time, we also like have the like quality audit, so
1: we can like. Give them the conclusion like how they are going to improve. You point out yeah. the space of improvement, and yeah. you point out the solution, and you help them to actually act out that improvement.
2: Yes, and so we also more interesting. We also have the like the training for the quality assurance team, like the, for the mm. QA team, like okay, how to manage, like how to control the quality. Like, what is the quality standard and how do you need to control? We conduct that kind of training, like, when we have the new member of the, like,
1: QA team in the factory. Yeah, it's a lot of commitment and trust. Yeah. Yeah. That's why factories are waiting to, yeah, to share all this information. It's kind of like a close
2: relationship or like what we call it's a partnership.
1: Partnership. Partnership. Yeah. Yeah. I love it.
0: It's interesting too, because. This particular brand that we've been discussing from a consumer side, I'll share like from a consumer side, it's not a brand that you hear a lot from in terms of sustainability. It's not somebody who's like, you know, speaking out loudly about all of the wonderful and great sustainability things that they're doing at all. And, um, I think that is like, is really interesting too, because if you had just asked me about this particular brand, like, are they doing things in a good way or not? I would have said, oh, I don't really know. They don't really, I don't really hear very much about that. And they're kind of known, I don't know, for, for, for producing, uh, like, um, just producing a lot of products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that's like also really interesting on the consumer side, because I have a lot of friends and consumers who ask me like well how can i know if the goods that i'm buying have been produced sustainably or not and this is like a perfect example that goes to show like there's this example of best practice that's totally under the radar that consumers have no idea about and meanwhile there's greenwashing
1: yeah yes (laughs) There is no way for end consumers to know that all these technical practices are just behind the curtains. There's no way you know the contract, you know the raw material cost, or you know the the technical support.
0: So Jesse, I wonder if you could share a little bit about why you think that in this case uh, that Kim is describing – uh the company that the brand that she worked for wasn't using a third party quality inspection company because it's the the situation that she describes and the relationship between the um factory and the brand is pretty different to some of the relationships that we looked at earlier on in this season when we talked about your time with with third party inspection companies. So why wh- why could that be? Why wouldn't why would a factory or why would a brand in this case choose choose to do the quality inspection themselves instead of going through a third party? I would say there are usually three points,
1: three reasons. Um, first, uh, is in- third party inspection companies are actually quite expensive in terms of the services. Uh, I'm not saying the service is not valuable. It's very valuable, but it's also quite expensive. So a brand, as we can understand, are usually consider the cost uh, to, this, this is part of the operations cost they are going to consider. So for cost reasons, they might not want a third-party inspection companies if they could sort out the quality issues in another way around or in mm-hmm. other solutions. So that could be the reason, the cost. And I think the second reason could be um, related to their own products. For for example, if the product is very technical, uh, I like to use plain T-shirt as example. Plain T-shirt is not technical. We can see it's just the cutting and the sewing and the raw materials and so on. But if the product is very, very technical, some uh, seem very special, requires lots of parameters, lots of processes, lots of special requirements, then we can almost imagine that the technical department or quality department usually plays a big role in the brands. I would even say this quality department will probably get involved into purchasing and quality checking and and so on. So in mm. this case, um you could anticipate any kinds of quality issues starting from the purchasing. You could anticipate it even in the sampling. So if a quality team is well waved in that brand company structures, then they have a strong quality team. They anticipate quality issues on each step starting from development process. Then they don't really need a third-party inspection company come after. Because the major business, uh, a third-party inspection company could provide is uh, checking the quality on the finished goods. They also provide inline inspection, means when goods are on the production line are still uh, under processing. But that is even more expensive. So what I'm saying is if a quality team or quality department plays plays a role, quite a big role in a brand company, in the brand um, heavily get involved into each step then this brand actually doesn't need doesn't really need a third-party inspection companies for uh, quality assurance so that could be the reason too yeah and then let me think about the another reason could be the brand have has a very good relationship with the factory when i say good i mean very trustful or at least a long term kind of uh benefit bonded relationship. So in this case especially I want to emphasize on long term. So in this case the factory doesn't mind to open production line let's say or open the internal processes for the brand quality team to get involved to check each step or to help uh the factories to improve quality so in this kind of relationship it's more like a it's not like a checking and ready to be checked it's more like a brand provides quality uh, guidelines or quality in support a yes a partnership uh, provide quality support for factories to improve the quality to anticipate uh, challenges and to assure the final goods quality keeps on a certain level so in this case they also don't need uh, they also don't need a third party inspection company for the finished goods because the quality issues were already anticipated or checked or solved in in uh, many steps so in the end it should be more or less fun so in this way it's actually a kind of partnership as you said not really a um, a brand and a an outsourced production this kind of relationship yeah
0: yeah and it's interesting because i'd thought before about contract terms and as you emphasized the the length of the commitment and how long a brand has promised to work with a supplier i've i've thought about how that might impact their relationship and also how how it, how you go about approaching things like quality control. But I had never really considered before about how the kind of product that you're making might impact this and the difference between a very simple product and a more complicated product. And we know in this case that that uh, the kinds of products being made were more technical products. And I'd never really given thought to how that might, uh, first of all, drive the balance of power within a brand like as you said so that the maybe the quality department has more more weight in purchasing decisions but also then how that would sort of transcend and affect one level down in terms of the type of relationship that 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 brand has to have with its with its supplier and i think that's really interesting because again like in other in other episodes, we've talked about how important it is to come up with solutions that make sense within a given context, and context could mean where the production is taking place. It could mean you know what kind of uh, what kind of uh, what kind of brand it's producing for, but it could also just be as simple as what what are we making. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. What are we making is very important. If it's complicated enough, eventually factories will gain quite uh quite bigger spaces for price negotiation, for technical support and for mm. a long term uh yeah, for a long term relationship with the brands. And the brands also are willing to invest into time, uh, mm. human resources, let's say technical support mm-hmm. and uh yeah, I think uh brands also are very much willing to invest to have a long-term relationship with with their suppliers if the products mm. are complicated enough yeah right
0: interesting okay so I want to change gears here just a little bit Kim what was the hardest part of doing this job for you um at
2: the time I can imagine like the hardest part of my job is when the quality is not accepted I mean like mm-hmm. there are a lot of like minor defect because we always went mm-hmm. from the major defect yes and when I reject that kind of like thing I mean at the same time I also heard the verbal abuse from the Chinese management to the Cambodian QA team so it kind of like it's not really make me happy like I mean mm. the Chinese management team they always put blame on their QA team like why did you allow that to happen? Like,
1: why you yeah. didn't say it yeah. earlier? Why, why you didn't, didn't prevent it? Yeah. Okay.
2: Why didn't you detect it in the in-line inspection or something like why that? Why you didn't
1: anticipate that?
2: Yes. Okay. And it also is like challenging to communicate with the Chinese management? Like QA hmm. management? Because
0: like for you. The, so that you're your the quality manager that you're working with in the factory is Chinese. Yeah, it's and Chinese. You are Cambodian. So yes. in which language did you talk to each other? Most of the
2: time, we use English, but... <laughs> <she's, yeah. laughs> guess their English is not very fluent. Yes. So, so but like, the the QM teacher that I work with, she can speak like... Chinese is her native.
1: Uh she's Ah, she's Chinese. Yeah. Okay. So she can
2: speak uh, some of Cam, uh, Cam, uh, Cambodian word. Mm. Specific. Yeah. yeah. And Chinese. a little bit of English. So... Sometimes I need but most of difficult time I also ask for a translator. The factory translator, they have one translator that can like translate what we need between Chinese and the camel. Yeah, between between me and the QA manager who is Chinese. So
0: the the QA man, the quality assurance manager who's communicating with a Cambodian production staff has one translator in the whole factory to be able to process this com- this like communication between worker and factory management.
2: Uh is that what you mean? I, I mean like yes they have one one at the time they have one or two like translators that for mm. all department like even from HR Team or I mean HR Team uh, is also Chinese. Yeah HR Team also Chinese. So I mean like when anyone needs <laughs> a
1: translator, there is a stand-by translator to have. How can one translator work?
2: One or
0: two translators at okay. a time. So-
2: well,
0: but it's in really interesting because we've just talked about like this really positive relationship of trust between factory and uh, brand. But then, like, we go one level down between factory management and worker, and we see a totally different picture, which is, I think, just like fascinating because it just reminds you how important it is to sort of be looking when we're talking about sustainability to be looking at every level. And just because something is going well at one level doesn't mean it's necessarily going well at another level. So they're not
1: sustainable at all now.
0: <laughs> yeah. So now we tell the consumers, you shouldn't buy these products, right? Don't buy, don't buy this brand. Don't sorry. Buy them. But Kim, I want to, okay, there's so much in what you just said. I want to ask you, Jesse, to just give a little bit of context for, because people might be wondering, wait a minute, we're in we're in Cambodia. I thought we were dealing, we were talking about Cambodian garment factories. And now we've introduced this whole new variable, which is that, yes, we're producing in Cambodia, but the factory is managed and owned by uh, uh the chinese. factory management and ownership is chinese so can you give a little bit of context about how how did we end up with uh, how did a chinese factory management end up in cambodia like what i mean is why why are these why would have uh uh why would a chinese person move to cambodia to manage a garment factory because
1: it's a bigger picture to explain why chinese why Chinese capital move from China to Cambodia to, to set up mm. a factory, you see? And then next question is, why would they, why would business owners hire, uh, Chinese? Why Chinese mm. business owners hire Chinese to be the factory management to manage local workers? And so mm. I, I think what you asked is the second question. Why mm. would a Chinese business owner to hire a Chinese to manage the, the government factory in Cambodia? Mm. Um, it's still a little bit big question, but let me think about it. how to answer that in a clear and simpler way. Um, okay. I, I will first bring, try to bring a context here. Mm. Textile is a highly competitive uh, industry in China. So the size of the business, of course, is much bigger than, than Cambodia. Uh, mm. so that means um, the size of the business could offer much more work opportunities to uh to people who want to work in textile factories, but the competition is also very very high so and when the and the textile business in China is still mostly. Uh, small and medium business who wants to move to other countries uh, to, fa- to 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 uh, set up a a factory. It's rare you have a state-owned company or a very big group come to um, other countries, uh, come to the nearby mm. countries to just uh, open a factory. So what I mean mm. is, I can make it more clear. What I mean is. Uh, if, if there is a textile business comes to Cambodia to start from setting up a small factory or a medium factory, it's usually a small and private business. And mm. when that business owner comes, they would like to save some commu- communication cost to not have a blended management. Because first is the language barrier. They probably need mm. to learn Kamal, at mm-hmm. least and Second, learn English if they don't want to learn Kamal or if they found the is more difficult or whatever. So they have to learn a foreign language and they probably don't want to spend time and, and, and energy on that. Then the easiest way is to have a Chinese to manage the, the factory. And uh, so for those Chinese, why would they want to find this opportunity in Cambodia or in Vietnam or in Thailand? Um, back to the point I said just now, in China, the competition is very high. The job or the salary are not guaranteed. And usually a small or medium textile business, uh, is starting from a village usually. So when the business owner comes to Cambodia, they want to save on the complication, uh, cost. Mm. But they still want to have a kind of trust for complication, then they would eventually have their families or relatives or people from the Mm. same village to come to to take the management positions. So in Mm. this way, the benefits on the other side is the job and uh, the career development is kind of guaranteed. So they Mm. avoid the high competition in China and also have a guaranteed job and a guaranteed salary, which doesn't mean higher than China. Actually, I, now I remembered what Chadu said in our previous, mm. uh, interview that, uh, in his experiences, the salary is always higher for a Sri Lankan to work uh, out of Sri Lanka. But in China, mm. for, but for Chinese, especially for garment industry, uh, to work in a overseas garment factory is not necessarily has, a, uh, has a higher salary than the same job mm. in China. Not really. So the benefits are actually first, they avoid competition. They have kind of guaranteed the job. Second, they might, uh, have some shares of the business after a while because they are either the families, either the relatives or people from the same villages. So the connection between the business owner and the Chinese management are more like a naturally bonded connection, like a blood bonded, not really like employees and employment. And so you can see in this case, the Chinese management is a... There is no system to um, to force them or there's no system to support them if they want to be responsible to the Khmer workers. In fact, they just need to be responsible to the Chinese business owners. Business owner, yeah. Because that's the guarantee of their jobs and their income. And if they have families in in Cambodia. No matter Cambodian families or they move their Chinese families to Cambodia, no matter which way, if their families also come to Cambodia, it means they have no way back because there's nothing waiting for them in China. Mm-hmm. So in this way, um, I would say now I remember that I read a few reports about young Chinese works in working in this kind of business and they, they also felt quite uncomfortable about the management style. But mm. there is no real system to support them. Just to think about it. As you said, just now the HR team is also Chinese. So think about it. the HR manager is the business owner's, uh, I don't know, sister-in-law. If and if the accountant, the finance part is the, uh, is the, uh, brother-in-law's wife or the, of the business owner, and if the product, production manager, also the relatives of the uh, business owner, then as a young Chinese or as another Chinese just come into this factory to be the management, there is no system to support this Chinese to be responsible to the workers. But everything, all yeah. the setting, just to force this person to be only responsible to that Chinese business owner. Otherwise, there's no point or position for this person to work in this factory. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of, they're under a lot of pressure to succeed because, like you said, if they fail, the, the, the cost of, or the risk, the cost of failure is very, very high. Is that?
1: Yeah. Right. The, yes. The cost is very high. Is, uh, uh, from Kim's description, we can say, uh, they, cannot really speak Kamal and they probably cannot speak fluent English either. If they go back to China, they will face the high uh, competition again and uh, they probably will not find a similar job in with the similar conditions. So, and, and if their families are also in Cambodia, there is no point for them to go back to China alone. So in this case, they, they are under a huge pressure or mm. another case is uh, it's 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 also possible that the Chinese business owner just bring the whole families to be the- uh, the factory management so then with mm. this blood bond there is uh, even less reasons for them to feel responsible to the workers mm. the settings doesn't help people to to work in a more responsible way let's say
0: so if I were to ask you like What's the – if – because I – if I were to ask you, if you wanted to improve the relationship between workers and factory management in this kind of context, what would make sense as a strategy then? Would it be sort of developing relationship actually directly with the business owner? Or what should a brand – what could a brand do in this kind of situation?
1: I think the brand could uh, put more chips on the tables using an even longer terms of uh, uh, partnership as a mm. condition to softly push the business owners to open the positions of the management to have a mm. blended management. And step one mm. could be: don't just hire Chinese from uh, from China from mainland, but also hire. Uh, Cambodian Chinese. You have lots mm. of Khmer Chinese in mm. Phnom Penh. Yeah. They can speak fluently Khmer. They naturally feel closer to Khmer, to Cambodian, mm. and they can speak Chinese too. So the brand could uh, just put it under condition: if you want to win this five years contract, step mm. one has a uh, blended management, and uh, mm. Khmer Chinese members uh, of Khmer Chinese has to be, or the percentage has to be, I don't know, thirty percent, fifty percent, even. Or or more, Mm. So this can be step one and maybe three years after, ask the Chinese uh, owner to even have uh, 100% local management if that is possible and so on and Mm. so on. So directly push on the HR policies, I would say.
0: Interesting. And Kim, I want to ask you on your side, because you had these experiences which made you uncomfortable and you went back to your brand and you shared them, right? Yes. To your employer. And and then what would happen?
2: When I share about the communication, mm. I mean mm. on my team, I have one guy who can speak a little a little a little bit of Chinese. So mm-hmm. somehow it might have the team to communicate it with like the QA manager. But sometimes, mm. when, when the time that he cannot have that. We really have more idea to put it on, so we ask for a translator.
1: So yeah. you mean you find a, a subtle way to express that uh, it's not proper or it's really uncomfortable? The communication between their management and and their workers is really not comfortable, and you pass this information to their QA management.
2: Actually, at the time, I also handle for the like what we call CSR corporate social responsibility. So mm. we have like we conduct a an internal audit to check on this and all like the thing we also mentioned in the report. So I mean like it was mentioned clearly to the factory manager or the top management in the factory to understand what is the problem and Sometime. So the,
0: the feedback was given. The yeah. feedback was given from the brand to the factory management. The brand knew that this was happening, yeah. gave the feedback during the audit that they were not happy about it. And then what happens?
2: Um, actually, like they, they won't say any bad word in front of us. I mean, like, but when we go out, yeah, we can hear the voice. The voice from the QA management team. That, uh, oh. Yeah, so in mean, like, yeah, it
1: can happen we are in front of them, but when you mean okay, so they can improve, but they just don't want to improve that much.
0: Yes. They want to improve the appearance but not maybe the substance. Yes. Is that what you mean?
2: I mean they <sighs> yeah, they try to improve like by not saying those words in front of us, but yeah. like they still have when we are mm. not
1: here. Yeah, for me it shows they are able to improve, but they don't. They just <laughs> want to improve that much. They don't want to improve one hundred percent. They just yeah. want to improve ten percent. When and you then, are there, yeah. Yeah. What if the CSR report can get involved into the purchasing? What if the conclusion of the CSR report is a very important factor of the purchasing policy? What if it can affect the contract? What if, as a brand? Even a brand is so much willing to have five years or even 10 years or 80 years contract with a supplier. But just to make it very clear at the beginning, we are going to have internal audit and your CSR result is, uh, is, uh, I don't know, top three factors we will consider to sign the contract or continue the contract or not. You see, I think those factories, I'm very happy to hear they are able to improve. It's better than, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean yeah,
1: yeah I know it sounds very dark as the criticism. <laughs> it. It's okay, I take it. I'm very happy to hear they are able to improve and, uh, and not very surprised to find out they just want to improve that much. But then it just reminded me, maybe because the CSR report didn't get into didn't get involved into the purchasing practice. They are not afraid the CSR report because even it no teeth. Teeth. yeah, it has no teeth. They're going to have this five years contract anyway. I mean like
2: on the on the other on the other hand, it's just like yeah, sometimes as the brand we ask many things from the factory to follow. And at this I mean at the same time I also like hear the complaining of the like from the factory about the price. Like you asked me. So many things to so follow. So many things to follow, but like the price is like like lower from years to years. So I mean like I mean the important part is just like CSR is one, but the more importantly is the price. Like okay. which, which factory is ha, has a lower price. So this one is very
1: important. Is it very important to whom? To which which the fa- brand. To the brand. Which yeah. factory has a lower price? This is yeah. important and then, to the brand.
2: Yeah, and then they're gonna like evaluate the other factor like.
1: Okay, so CSR fact CSI is important, but less important than which factory has a lower price.
2: Yeah. I mean On the brand side. uh, Yeah. yeah.
1: And that that is the space for those factories can can still, you know. Can
0: kind of like bend the rules or ignore their CSR report. Yes. Yeah, because (laughs) the
1: space, yes. They are still there, yeah.
0: Yeah, because to be honest, like the
2: brand somehow like require many things from the factory like to follow to make sure that they respect the local regulation and some other thing related to like risk management and Septian and mm. hell yes. Yeah,
1: so just okay so right. the picture is very dark now i think this factory well, falls it's... very far from being sustainable
0: but it's complicated right and i think it just goes to show and maybe this is the point that we want to take away here is it just goes to show how complicated these questions are and how sustainability is not black and white and you can be sustainable in one way Even now, we're just talking about social, sustainable here. We're talking really just about social responsibility. We're not even touching the whole environmental aspect. But even just within this one aspect and this one example that Kim has described, like you see some things that are really positive and then some things which are less positive and that those things actually coexist. And that makes it really like a gray zone, (laughs) right? And, and that these kind of details and these kind of nuances are so important to put on the table. And we can't, we have to really be looking when we're talking about social responsibility, we have to look at this whole picture, at the relationship between, between brand and factory, both in terms of contract, but also in terms of, as Kim pointed out, price pressure, cost reduction. And then, sort of those two things can be sort of pulling in opposite directions on the one hand you've got this contract which you know enables quite a lot of trust on the other hand you have this continuous pressure for cost reduction which negatively impacts then the next level down between factory management and workers right and you can't really talk about social responsibility without looking at that whole picture and looking at all those levels and those loops yes of course Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, check out our website manufacturedpodcast.com or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners
1: is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. Leave comments on Instagram or connect with us privately through our website
0: be the first to find out about new episodes subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts we'd also love it if you left us a review leaving a review helps other people find our show and we'd love your help with that
1: thanks for listening and see you next week